you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we'll be looking at the first 23 verses today. In this chapter, there are uh, several parables of Jesus, stories that he told that had eternal meaning, and yet many of the folks would not understand what he was saying. But his disciples were to understand what he was saying. And if you and I would be his disciples, we need to pay attention to what he is saying. Matthew chapter 13, this is God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. 
The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. When I was 16 years old, my parents said they wanted to take me to Charleston, South Carolina to see uh, the beauty of that city. It is a beautiful place. Tons of history there. Uh, Some of that history, very sad history. Some of that history, very beautiful. My grandmother had... um, lived in Charleston in the late 1800s. My aunt lived there in the early 1900s, and um, we've had many friends there since. But when I was 16, I was eager to see this place I hadn't seen before. Love history. I loved the opportunity to worship on Easter Sunday in uh, St. Michael's Church, which was one of the two churches where my grandmother was a paid soloist. She would sing at St. Michael's, and then she'd go across the street and sing at the other place, and she was employed at both places, and they structured their worship service around her being able to get from one church to the other to do the special music. It's a neat city, and we were there on Easter weekend. But Saturday evening, as we were in the motel room, the Lord impressed on my heart that there was someone... I was supposed to talk to, share the gospel with. Well, I mean, you know, I had no idea who. didn't know anybody in the city at that point except my mom and dad, and they were in the room with me. But I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I went out walking, walked all around downtown Charleston, the old historic district, went out, walked the battery, and uh, went by the churches and admired all this, but as people would come toward me, I'd be going this way and people would be coming this way and I'd be thinking, is that them? Is that who I'm supposed to talk to? Nothing from God. I mean, just nobody pointed out to me. I kept wondering, who am I supposed to talk to? Who am I supposed to talk to? Kept walking, kept praying, kept watching. Nobody. Well, finally, after at least an hour, I gave up. I thought, I'm just going to go back to the motel because I, you know, I, I guess I didn't find who I was supposed to talk to. I stopped in a little delicatessen, and um, there were two teenage boys in that deli, um, and immediately the Holy Spirit was like, that's who you're supposed to talk to. I thought, oh, okay, well, oh, what am I going to say? I mean, how do you strike up a conversation? And so I thought, well, Jesus asked the woman at the well, give, you know, could you give me something to drink? And so I thought, you know, I'll make conversation with them by asking them to do something for me. And so I said, uh, do you know where the Dr. Pepper is? Now, that's a 
reasonable way to start a conversation unless you're standing right next to a big display of Dr. Pepper, which I was and had not noticed at that point. So let's just say I did not establish myself as a sharp guy. And uh, they were like, yeah, pointed to the huge display of Dr. Pepper. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, thank you. Well, they left. I got a Dr. Pepper. I went up to the counter and I thought, well, I, I didn't get to witness to them. Maybe I'll get to witness to this fellow. And so uh, since it was the night before Easter Sunday, I, I just asked, uh, so are you going to be in church tomorrow? And the moment the words got out of my mouth, I looked at this man who ran the delicatessen, and I realized he's Jewish. Probably not going to church on Easter Sunday. And he just looked at me and said, no. Paid for my Dr. Pepper. Now I feel about this big and I'm walking out the door thinking, I have totally failed in my assignment. But when I walked out the door, the two guys who'd been inside were sitting on the windowsill outside, there along the sidewalk. And I thought, this is my chance. So I said, uh, so are you guys going to be in church tomorrow? You see, on Easter and Christmas... Even people who don't particularly have faith kind of feel like, you know, I probably ought to be in church. You know, it's sort of like those two holidays. If you're ever going to go to church, that's the time. So I said, uh, you guys going to be in church tomorrow? And they said, yeah, I guess so. And I said, you are? Now, believe me, what I said totally caught me by surprise. But this is what I said. You are? Don't you know what's happening there tomorrow? They said, no. And I said, those people are gathering to celebrate the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Dead people don't come back to life. Do you really believe that? And they said, well, no, I guess not. And I said, you know what's even more amazing? And they said, what? And I said, it's true. He really did rise from the dead. And he's alive right now. And one of them said, well, you've obviously got something to say. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> so I did. I started sharing with them the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I started sharing with them my personal experience with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the fact that they could know him in a personal way because he is alive. Well, as I'm talking to the two of them, a couple of their friends came strolling along the sidewalk. And they said to their friends, listen to what this guy's saying. So now I had a congregation of four. I'm telling you, that's, first, that's fast church growth, okay? We doubled within the span of a half an hour, okay? And... It grew and grew until there was a large crowd spilling out into the street of mostly young people, including one little elementary age heckler who did everything that the demons motivated him to do in order to try and distract and disturb 
the presentation of the gospel. But I'll tell you something. There were folks who listened for a couple of hours. And clearly, God was at work. Well, I went back to the hotel after a while. I'd given people an opportunity to decide what they're going to believe and how they're going to respond. Because if Jesus Christ is alive, you can't just sit on that. You've got to do something. If Jesus Christ is alive, then he really is who he claimed to be. He is the Lord. And so I left, went back to the hotel, and I'm thinking as I walked back, God, what's going to become of those people? How, how, how do I know who's, who's really been helped by this? I know you told me to speak to those two guys, and then you gave me the opportunity to speak to those others, but Lord, I mean, that one kid was a punk, and I, I don't think he got saved. But, Lord, what's going to become of this? And I knelt down by my bed and I prayed and just said, Lord, please show me what this means. And I opened my Bible directly to this passage. And God spoke through this parable. A man went out to sow seed, a farmer. And he just... He's just broadcasting the seed, okay? I wouldn't necessarily recommend that method of farming. It's generally good to prepare the soil. But Jesus was speaking exactly what the Father told him to say, and it's absolutely true. The word of the kingdom in Jesus' day was going out. Some of the soil had been prepared by God. Some of the soil was as hard as a footpath. Some of the soil was like rocky, shallow ground. Some of the soil was very good at growing things, but it already had a crop of thorns and other things. Not a good crop. And then there was soil that was truly ready to receive the message. And I realized, God promises, my word will not return to me empty, void, but will accomplish that for which I sent it. Jesus says here that the reason he speaks in parables is because not everybody is going to understand. The crowds who listened, who were often impressed by what Jesus said, nevertheless, would not follow him in the way of real discipleship. There would be those who would be truly converted. But even among the twelve, who were his closest followers, there was one who would totally betray him. So, Jesus tells this story 
And then the disciples, because, you know, they can see that uh, I, don't, I don't think they're getting it because actually, honestly, uh, we don't get it ourselves. He said, Lord, why do you speak in these stories? Why, why, do, you tell, you know, why do you tell all these stories? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Years ago, I was invited to go to a seminar uh, put on by a well-known uh, teacher who had a large organization and a lot of prestige and uh, a lot of income. And um, the, the, the seminar was called The Seven Laws of the Learner. And the man began with the thesis that if you're going to really teach, you have to make sure that your listeners learn. Because if you're just saying things and they're not getting it, you're not a good teacher. Well, that's kind of an appealing thing. And then he goes on and helps you understand how people learn and how you can be a better teacher. Make sure that people get what you have to say. So vice president of the organization who had invited me to come to the thing and made it free for me, came to me during the break and he said, so what do you think? And I said, well, I said, I, I have a little problem with what he's saying. He said, really, what's that? And I said, who's the greatest teacher who's ever lived? He said, well, Jesus. And I said, right. What did Jesus say about the way that people heard him? He said, you know, that's a very good point. We hadn't considered that. I said, well, since you're a Christian organization, you might want to just consider the fact that you don't want to be advancing a thesis that essentially disqualifies Jesus as a good teacher. Anybody out there understand that? Jesus is the greatest teacher ever, but it doesn't mean that everybody who heard Jesus got it. Because the problem was not with Jesus. The problem was with their hearts. Jesus said, verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. Well, what could keep a person from hearing? Jesus gives several examples of what can keep a person from really hearing. How many of you have ever heard something without really hearing it? <laughs> you know, I think all of us, if we're honest. Jesus said that there are some people who are just hardened. They've been run over, walked on, trodden down. And as a result, when the message comes to them, it makes no impression at all. They didn't even notice. They were thinking about other things. Just trying to keep from getting hurt again, maybe. They've been trodden down like a footpath. Jesus said, the birds... Come and 
take that seed away. And he says that represents what the enemy does. The forces of darkness. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in that person's heart. There are kids who come to the ranch and they come to chapel. They even have to do a Bible book report. But it just doesn't make an impression. Just It's like trying to grow a crop on top of this platform. Okay? I, I could put the finest seed right here. It's not going to do anything. And the seed's not going to stay. But then there are some who, unlike those on whom it makes no impression, they receive it with enthusiasm. Oh, I mean, they, this is great. This is wonderful. I've never heard this before. This is, I, I love this. Thank you. They are so excited about what they've heard. And, and, and it just grows, and, and we get excited. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, wow, have you seen? This is so good. That kid is really excited. But it turns out it's about this deep. When my wife and I were on Cape Cod, I was first pastor of a church there. They'd never, it was my first pastor, and I was their first pastor. And uh, I was noticing that the young people were a lot more responsive to the message than the parents and older people in town. Okay? I was a young guy myself. So, in my 20s, trying to reach people, it's not entirely surprising that some of the young people would relate better to me than some of the older people. Though I ended up, thank God, having good relationships with all ages. But it was easier to move the young people. I was thinking about that while I was stacking firewood. Because we had a wood stove. New England winters are cold, even on Cape Cod. And I'm stacking this wood, and you know what I noticed? It's a lot easier to move the little pieces of wood. <laughs> it just is. The big, thick oak logs, you really have to put some muscle into that. You really got to put some heft into it. They, mm, I used to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm stacking up firewood, and I'm stacking up some big chunks of oak and some smaller stuff that's good for making kindling. A lot easier to move the little round guys than it is these big split pieces of oak. But then the thought occurred to me. <laughs> Once you move the big pieces, they stay put. Those little ones, if you get them stacked very high, they start rolling down. It's easy to move them, but it's easy for them to fall away, too. And I thought, oh, I think I got it. I might have five young people saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus, along with my friends. Those older people, once they commit, 
They were slow to do so, but now they're in. And they stay with it. The younger people? Well, it looks like, yes, pastor, we want to follow Jesus. (laughs) But if this one veers off, then it's like, wow, that kind of looked like fun. And if this one, Jesus says, if there's no depth to the soil, if there's no depth to the commitment, then when the sun comes out, they get scorched. They wither up. They shrivel up. They're not really committed because they haven't got roots that go down deep and take hold and draw nourishment so that they can weather persecution. Persecution? We're not supposed to have to go through persecution, are we? Yeah, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. There's going to be opposition. There are going to be people who mock you. There are going to be people who criticize you. There are going to be people who said they were with you, and then they turn away and go the other way. And you've got to decide, am I following Jesus or am I following my friends? Am I following Jesus or am I following my family? Am I following Jesus or am I following my feelings? I'm not saying young people can't make a sincere commitment. It can't be deep and they can't stick with it. Remember, I was 16 when I was in Charleston trying to lead people to Christ. When a child professes faith in Christ, I take it seriously. And you know why? Because God does. God does. But you know the evidence of whether or not it's real whether or not they stay with it. So Jesus says, there are those who make just a shallow commitment, and they're not going to last. They might be real enthusiastic at the start, but that doesn't mean they're going to last. Enthusiasm is not a substitute for perseverance. But then Jesus talks about the seed among the thorns. It's it's there, it's alive, it's even putting down roots, but it's competing. It's competing with the thorns. What are the thorns? Jesus says, that person hears the word, verse 22, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it making it unfruitful. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to decide that nothing else really matters by comparison. Okay? If you're going to really follow Jesus, then wealth doesn't count. My son Clayton, who's now the executive director here, constantly is met with people who are trying to figure him out. You could be making millions, they say. And he says, but God has called me to do this. He could be making millions. Why why does that not appeal to him? Because when you really know Jesus, 
money can't hold a candle to Jesus. What does that mean, can't hold a candle? I think that's one of your old expressions. Okay, money can't compare to Jesus. No amount of money. Story is told of a famous, intelligent, physically unattractive older man in Great Britain. I'll translate the money into modern American money for you. He approached a young woman who was at the party, and he said, would you sleep with me for a million dollars? He was a wealthy guy. Would you sleep with me for a million dollars? And she looked at him and she said, a million dollars? And he said, yes. And she said, well, I suppose for a million dollars I would. He said, fine, here's 20 bucks, let's go upstairs. And she said, what do you think I am, a prostitute? He said, madam, we have already established what you are. All that's left is to agree on the price. How much are you worth? Jesus said, what does it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What would it take for you to sell out? Money? How much money? The devil's got a bank account. What would it take in order for you to decide, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going that way? Sports contract? Modeling contract? A book deal? TV show? Recording contract? What would it take? Just the approval of some member of the human race, somebody who makes you feel special. Is that all it takes? Jesus said, you've got to decide up front that none of this other stuff can compete. That's how you bear fruit. The worries of this life, well, what are we going to do about that? Jesus has already addressed that, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. The only thing that matters is doing the will of God. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. Well, you know, we, we do have to eat. Jesus says, your father knows you need all that. He'll take care of you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be supplied. When uh, I was working at a church in Sudbury, Massachusetts, First Baptist Sudbury, and we were living in Marlboro in an apartment, and I was being called to pastor that church I mentioned on Cape Cod. I knew that they had met and that they had decided they wanted me to come. It was a tiny little church, 23 members, two of them men, it's a scary thing to go there. We had a budget that 
said we could spend $500 a month on housing. We were looking for a place to rent down there. They were going for $500 a week. $500 a week in 1980. Cape Cod's a popular place in the summertime. And I said to my wife, shall I tell them that if we can find housing, then we'll come? And she said, you shouldn't go unless the Lord says you should go. And if the Lord says you should go, he'll take care of the housing. Right, right. You're exactly right, babe. Thank you. I got a great wife. So many times over the years, she has been the one through whom the Lord spoke to me and just reminded me of what we both know. Trust him. Do what he says. He'll take care of the rest. But if you're not careful, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth will keep you from being fruitful in the kingdom of God. But, the one who received the word that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it, really understands it. Jesus means everything. And so, good news for those of you who are really following Jesus. He produces a crop. A hundredfold. Maybe 60-fold. Maybe 30-fold. Not everybody produces the same amount. Not everybody bears the same fruit. Not everybody sees the same results. But if you follow Jesus, there's going to be a harvest. If you follow Jesus, if he means more to you than life, God's going to do wonderful things in your life and you're going to impact the lives of other people. God promises that. And God keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You are ever the same. You know exactly what you're up to, and your word does not return void. We don't all have to be preachers, but we all have to be honest witnesses sharing your love and the truth of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would prepare us for those things that you have in store and that we would not allow anything else to rob us of the truth to discourage us through circumstances, to distract us with money or the cares of this life. May we be all in for the gospel because we're all in for you. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.